0: Welcome back to another exciting episode of Mr. Cornwell's Corner. Welcome back, everybody, for another exciting episode of Mr. Cornwell's Corner. For this episode, we're going to do things a little bit differently. I allowed one of my students to pick any topic of his choice to do a podcast on And he started with civil rights, and then after some back and forth, he narrowed things down to the landmark court case of Brown versus Board of Education, which established desegregation in public schools and the rest of American society in 1954. So I hope you all enjoy this format, and without further ado, I turn it over to Blaine Jaffe. Enjoy, and we'll see you next time. Hello, everybody. My name is Blaine Jaffe. I am a... Current, or depending on when you're listening to this, former student of Mr. Cornwell. And today he has asked me to come on and do a podcast episode. Now, the topic that I have chosen is Brown versus Board of Education. Now, we all know about Board, we've been learning about this since like middle school. It was an extremely important landmark case which occurred during the civil rights movement. It ruled that separate but equal was, in fact, unconstitutional. Now, if you remember anything about Plessy v. Ferguson, this is one of the only times that the Supreme Court has actually gone back on one of its rulings. Plessy v. Ferguson ruled that separate but equal was constitutional. But Brown versus Board ruled that it was unconstitutional. So when we think of Brown versus Board, we just think of the one case of Linda Brown. But there were actually five cases. It was just all combined into one case when it was heard by the Supreme Court. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. We will be discussing all the different cases that were involved in Brown versus Board. Because a lot of these really aren't very talked about and really aren't very widely known. So I wanted to bring some attention to that. So, but before we get into all of that, we first need to discuss the history that I briefly touched on a second ago. So, in 1896, the Supreme Court ruled in the case known as Plessy v. Ferguson that separate but equal facilities were legal. This is how we got things such as colored water fountains, buses, seating areas, and things like that. These would become known as the Jim Crow laws. I'm sure that you remember those talking about those in history class. In 1950s, the NAACP was challenging these segregation laws. And in 1951, in Topeka, Kansas, Oliver Brown followed a lawsuit for his daughter Linda Brown, because she was denied admission into Topeka's all white elementary school. So, with that being said, this now leads us into the first case that we will be discussing Brown versus Board. This is the most widely talked about case, but like I said earlier, we will be discussing all five. So, Brown versus Board first came to the Supreme Court in 1952. Thurgood Marshall, who was the leader of the NAACP at the time, served as the attorney for the plaintiffs. If you don't know what a plaintiff is, they're the ones who are bringing the case. In the beginning of the case, the head chief justice, Fred M. Vinson actually wanted to uphold the decision of separate but equal. But right as the case was about to be heard, he died. So just to think about this for a second, If he wouldn't have died, this could have gone much differently than it did. Segregation could have gone on in schools for 10, 20, 30 years to come after this. So, he was then replaced by Earl Warren by Dwight D. Eisenhower. Earl Warren, this name probably sounds familiar. Because Earl Warren would, he was at the Supreme Court for a long time. His name probably sounds familiar because you remember him from the uh, Warren administration, which investigated the assassination of John F. Kennedy. So that's probably why his name sounds familiar. But on May 17th, 1954, Warren ruled, and I quote, in the field of public education, the doctrine of separate but equal has no place end quote. This will lead into the little rock nine, but before I talk about that, I want to discuss all the other cases that went into Brown versus board. Then we will discuss the aftermath of that. So like I said earlier, in total, there were five different cases. Brown versus board being one of them. We know them as Brown versus board because all the five cases were combined into the one case. So, the next case we will be talking about is Belton v. Gebhardt. This case actually consisted of two different cases, but they were both heard by the court at the same time. So, they're combined into one because they both had the same issue. So, these cases took place in Delaware. And the issue that came up was that black families were displeased with the fact that their kids were forced to attend run-down schools for African-Americans located in Wilmington instead of schools in the community. A woman known as Sandra Bula originally had brought up the issue to Delaware Department of Transportation because the bus would not provide transportation for the African-American kids in the town of Hawkinson. The bus would refuse to offer transportation to her daughter even though it drove by her house each day. But because her daughter was black, the bus would just refuse to take her. So, eventually she got fed up with this and legal action would be taken. The parents would seek respiration from a man by the name of Lewis Redding, who was to part Delaware's first African-American attorney. At first, he suggested that they form a petition, but in 1951, the children were denied admission And thus followed the case that we will be discussing now. The case was heard by the Delaware County of Chancery. Jack Greenberg from the NAACP and Redding assisted as legal counsel. The decision was made up and it was ruled that equal protection under the law was being denied and ordered 11 of the children to be admitted into the all-white school. So, this case is one of those that the plaintiffs actually won. Which, in some of these cases we'll see, that's not so much the case, sadly. But the next case we will be discussing is Bowling v. Sharp. So, in 1947, Garner Bishop in a group called the Consolidated Parents Group began a mission to desegregate schools located within Washington, D.C. In 1950, Bishop made an attempt to enroll 11 African-American students into John Philip Sosa Jr. High School. Unsurprisingly, the 11 students were turned away, even though there were multiple empty classrooms. So it's not even that they just didn't have a space. They just purely did not want to admit them just because they're African-American. At first, Charles Hamilton Houston would represent the group, but after he became sick, James Nabret Jr. took his place. Nabratt took a different approach to this case. Rather than just addressing segregation within the school, he went straight for segregation itself. He said that instead of segregation in the school being the issue, It was segregation as a whole went straight for the heart of the problem. So his case was dismissed on the ruling of Carvey Corning, which stated that segregated schools were legal within the confines of D.C. And he would file an appeal to this. But while waiting for a response, he would actually receive a letter from the Supreme Court they would reach out and ask him if he was interested. They were interested in hearing his case alongside four other cases. Ding, ding, ding. There we go. This is where we're getting Brown versus Board and all the cases being heard at once, like I said earlier. So the next case we will discuss is Briggs v. Elliott. This took place in Clarendon County, South Carolina. This case was filed by 20 parents who initially petitioned for buses to be provided for the African American students. But when their petitions were denied, they filed suit against R.W. Elliott, who was the president of the school board for the county. A principal by the name of J.A. Delane would become crucial in this case, by getting Thurgen Marshall, who I mentioned earlier, from the NAACP, involved in this case, along with a local attorney by the name of Harold Boulware, and in 1950, the case would be filed. A lot of evidence was presented, such as first-hand testimonials, as long as psychological evidence. The county denied to abolish segregation, but... They did order for the schools to be equalized, so they the schools would not be integrated, but they would be made more air quotes equal. One of the judges, Julius Waring, openly opposed segregation, and this co- ends up causing him a whole lot of trouble because the retaliation from him openly like. Openly being against segregation would become so bad that he would have to flee the state out of fear for safety. So, the next case and the final case that we will be discussing is Davis v. County School Board. This occurred in April of 1951 in Farmville, Virginia. Barbara Rose Johnson, sorry. Barbara Rose Johns led herself and 450 other students in a strike to protest the poor school conditions at Monton High School. The school was just had, compl- had deplorable conditions. Like these, it was terrible. Like no one should have been going to school here. It had no gym, no cafeteria, no nurse's office, and no teacher restrooms. All of these students went to school in an old school bus in three run-down school buildings, which were covered in tar paper. So, like I said earlier, just terrible conditions. So, in May of 1951, two members of the NAACP, Spotswood Robinson and Oliver Hill, would file a suit on behalf of 117 students. The suit was rejected by the judges... Which stated, we have found no hurt or harm to either race, This, but later the Supreme Court would overturn this ruling in order for desegregation to be put into place. The school board did not take too kindly to this, though. So, what they did was, from 1959 to 1964, so for five years... They just completely shut down the schools, so no one went to school. They would rather not have anybody get an education than have African-Americans receive the same, the equal education. So now that we have discussed these five cases, we can now discuss the Little Rock Nine, which I had mentioned at the beginning of this episode. So, we've all heard about the Little Rock Nine. This is the aftermath of Brown versus Board after it was taken to the court, and it was ruled that separate but equal was unconstitutional, overturning Plessy v. Ferguson. So, this is when it actually gets put into practice. This occurred in Little Rock, Arkansas, and on September 4th, 1957, At Central High, nine African-American students, whose names were Minnie Jean Brown, Elizabeth Eckford, Ernest Green, Thelma Mothershed, Melba Petillo, Gloria Ray, Terrence Roberts, Jefferson Thomas, and Carlota Walls were enrolled in Central High School and went to attend classes there. The governor of Arkansas, Little Rock, Arkansas, Governor Orville Faubus called in the National Guard to stop the students from entering seems a little bit extreme. But in a turn of events, President Dwight D. Eisenhower would send in federal troops to escort the students into the school and stay with them. Now, if I were a student there, I don't think much learning would be getting done that day. I think it'd be, to say the least, pretty tense. You could cut the tension in the air with a knife at that point. So, because as you can imagine, first time segregation is being done away with in integration. So, moving on. In the following weeks, l- actually legal action would be taken against the, dov- the governor because he defiled the orders given by the government. Judge Ronald Davies would oversee this case. He would order the removal of the National Guard on September 20th and also order the Little Rock police to maintain order within the town. Because as you can imagine, there's probably a lot of chaos. A lot of people that are very much against this would be voicing their, displease, this, their displeasement. So, order needed to be maintained. And on September 23rd, the students would be escorted into the school by the police while over 1,000 white protesters would stand outside the school. Riots would soon follow, which would cause the police to, ha- to have to escort the students out of the school due to safety concerns. The next day, Dwight D. Eisenhower would send 1,200 members Of the 101st Airborne Division to assist in ensuring the safety of the nine students. And finally, on September 25th, the students, the troops would escort the students into the school and they would finally attend their first full day of of classes. This is a full 21 days after this all started. This went on for three days weeks. I can imagine this was a very heated three weeks. A lot of people were definitely very pleased about this, but a lot of people were also very displeased with it. So this would go on to show that just because the Supreme Court ruled that segregation was unconstitutional, that didn't mean that desegregation was going to be easy. This showed that it would go on to be very difficult. Some states, some counties, would be very stubborn in not letting African American students be integrated, and white students be integrated into the same school. But threats of legal action would continue to persist throughout the year because, like I said, People were unhappy about this, and Fabus would continue to express his wishes of the students being removed from the school. Problems would continue to persist for the students as well. Melba Patillo was kicked, beaten, and had acid thrown in her face. If you've ever seen pictures of people who've received acid burns, it's nasty stuff. Extremely painful. Just melts away your skin. It's terrible completely disfigures you. At one point, while well, students actually burned an African-American effigy in a vacant lot across from the school. Minnie Jean Brown was expelled from the high school in February of 1958 after they retaliated against attacks. But harassment went beyond the students. like it went to the parents as well. Gloria Ray's mother was actually fired from her job with the state of Arkansas when she refused to remove her daughter from the school. But to end this on more of a happy note after talking about students being beaten, having acid thrown in their face. The first African-American student to graduate from the high school was Ernest Green because they were a junior when they were integrated. So, that concludes our discussion of the five cases involving Brown versus Board. Now, I hope you all enjoyed, and again, my name is Blaine Jaffe. Thank you all for listening, and also thank you, Mr. Cornwell, for including me on this podcast. I'm very honored to be on this podcast. I've always wanted to do something like this. So, again, thank you, and... I hope you all enjoyed. Thank you for listening to another exciting episode of Mr. Cornwell's Corner. Be sure to hit that like button, subscribe, and ring that bell so you never miss another episode. See you next time. I am Blaine Jaffe, the voice of the intro and exit for Mr. Cornwell's Corner. Thank you for listening.